0: We turn this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. We start at verse 32 and read through verse 40. Walking by faith. Hebrews 11, starting at verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets... Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were so- sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground." And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Let's pray. Father, would you take uh, these words that you have given by uh, your Holy Spirit for our encouragement, our instruction. Uh, Lord, would you teach us, we pray, guide us, Lord, into your truth. For your word, O God, is everlasting truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm sure many of you have heard Hebrews 11 described as the Hall of Faith. Not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. It's a wonderful description of men and women who understood what it means to walk by faith. For these people, it, was, it wasn't just an intellectual belief in Jesus. It wasn't just a, a head knowledge thing, just an agreement about what the Bible says about Jesus. It was a life-changing trust that impacted their lives in amazing ways. So if you ask people, do you believe in Jesus? You need to define what you really mean by that, because... Many people would say, oh, sure, I believe in Jesus. Sure, I believe in God, that He existed. Or are you really resting in Him? Are you trusting in Him? Are you walking with Him? That's what it means to really believe in Jesus, that we are walking by faith with Him. One of the things that we discover as we look at Hebrews 11 is that walking by faith is not an easy life. In fact, almost every example that you see in this chapter, the writer gives to us the the lives of those people who had had their share of difficulties. You read almost every single one from Noah to Abraham to Moses. I mean, they all faced challenges in life, but faith made the difference. Walking by faith makes a difference in our lives. By faith we conquer, and by faith we endure. So notice, first of all, by faith we conquer. Now the writer has given to us many examples of Old Testament saints who walk by faith, and some of them are given in in quite a bit of detail. But now he's coming to the end of this section. And I look at it like coming to the end of a sermon. And you realize, you know, you just can't keep going on and on and on. People are starting to nod off. So you got to conclude it. And that's what he does here. doesn't have time to go through every Old Testament saint who walked by faith. So he gives to us then, in verse 32, a brief list of names. And then he gives a few brief comments of how some of these Old Testament saints walked by faith. Now, most of the people that he mentions in our text, either by name or by what they did, are familiar to us. But it's good to remind ourselves of how faith in Jesus impacted their lives. These people illustrate that we conquer by faith in some pretty amazing ways. Let's just look at a few of them. A Gideon is mentioned first in verse 32. And think of what Gideon faced. He started out with an army of 32,000. God said, that's too much. You've got to thin it out. Went down to 10,000. Lord says, no, that's too much. Finally, he ended up with 300 soldiers, right? The Midianites, a lot bigger army than 300 soldiers. We're told in the book of Judges that they had the, 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 the size of their armies was like camels, that could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. And here he was, 300 men armed with trumpets, pitchers, pitchers and torches. And God says, okay, that's good. <laughs> and you will see that it wasn't you, it was me. Now you just trust me. So there's Gideon. Then we have Barak... He had only 10,000 men drawn from just two of Israel's tribes and he defeated the great army of Sisera with who had 900 chariots and a horde of soldiers. So here he is with that kind of a challenge. And then David, we could probably talk about David for the rest of the day, but one example that is very familiar to us is when he was facing the giant Goliath, outclassed in almost every way against this man. And yet he won a great victory. He told Goliath, it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. Samuel. Remember Samuel? There in the temple He was a man of faith, fearlessly delivering the Word of God to the people of Israel, even confronting King Saul with his sin. Verse 33, who is this? Shut the mouths of lions. Obviously, we think of Daniel, ordered to compromise his convictions by praying to no one else but the king for 30 days. He refused, went into that lion's den, and by faith God spared him. How about quenching the power of fire? Can't help but think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three young men who refused to worship the golden image that the king had set up. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And the king says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I think we put three in there, right? Yeah, there's three. He said, no, wait, no, there's four. And the form of the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. (laughs) Who was there? (laughs) That was Jesus with him, He goes on to say that there were many who escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, putting foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And so the list of those who conquered by faith, quite amazing when you think of it. One author says that God can deliver the faithful at any time. From anything, I love that. God can deliver the faithful at any time from anything. And I believe the readers of the book of Hebrews needed to be reminded of this. They needed to know that the God who was with these Old Testament saints is the God who would be with them. And they needed Him. They were facing persecution. They were facing trials. And they were tempted to go back to their old ways. And God said through the writer of Hebrews, "said You know what? You need not do that. <laughs> you just trust the Lord. God will help you in the midst of all that you face. God can deliver the faithful at any time from anything." And I think as things things go on in our world, I don't know what we're going to face, but I'll tell you what: we need to know. That the God who is with these Old Testament saints is the same God who will be with us. And by faith, we trust in Him. The God who can do anything, nothing too hard for Him. We put our trust in Him. Now, as we think of all the people mentioned in this chapter all of those who walk by faith, aren't we tempted to just kind of put them up on on some kind of a pedestal and say, yeah, but that was Abraham. Yeah, but that was Moses. Yeah, but that was David. They were super saints, right? They had super faith. I'm not one of them. How can I ever trust in God like they trusted? Were they really super saints? Were they really men who always trusted, always obeyed, never worried, never concerned? If you think so, I'm going to have to tell you that that's not right. Raymond Brown says, they were hardly without faults. Gideon was frightened. Barak was hesitant. Samson was flippant. Jephthah was rash. David was sensuous. Samuel was careless. We could go on to mention Abraham lied. Moses committed murder. Jacob was a deceiver, Rahab was a harlot. And yet they are mentioned in this chapter, this hall of faith. So what does that say to us? We are not perfect people. They were not either. We don't always trust they did not either. And yet they conquered by faith as they put their trust in those hard times in the true and and living God. Reminds me of what James says about Elijah in James chapter 5. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced rain its fruits. So when we look at those who walked by faith, we need to understand that they, they were just like we are. They are no different than we are. They had their faults. They had their struggles. But they trusted in the God who can do all things. And they conquered by faith. Pretty amazing ways. Walking by faith makes a difference in the way that we live. But there's another way that walking by faith makes a difference in our lives. And this is quite a challenge. By faith we not only conquer but by faith we endure. And notice right in the middle of verse 35 the tone of this section tr- changes dramatically. Others, in in comparison to the ones we just mentioned, right in the middle of verse 35, it says others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. In other words, faith doesn't always conquer things don't always end up the way we would like them to end and that is a fact that we need to recognize we need to understand that there may be times when things that we pray for and the things that we wish for may not happen because god might have another plan and sometimes that is hard isn't it that's a challenge and so this next section of this text deals with those who endured. By faith they endured some very difficult things. We have in our day what is called the prosperity gospel. It is not gospel because it is not the truth of God's Word. And the prosperity, the so-called prosperity gospel is that God wants you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And if you are not healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with your faith. Or there's sin in your life. Because if there was, if you really trusted God, if you really dealt with your sin, everything would be you, you would be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. If you preached the prosperity gospel to the saints described in these verses, one of two things would happen. Either they would be discouraged and they would wonder if God even cares about them. And there are people like that today. They hear this message and things just don't go the way that they want to go. They become very discouraged and they wonder, God must not really care about me. And then the rest of us have to try and pick up the pieces of those who have swallowed that kind of thinking. That's one possibility when you preach that message. Or, preferably, if you preach that message to the people described in Hebrews chapter 11, that they would chase you out of town for false teaching. They would remind you that there is no place in Scripture that tells us that it will always happen the way we want it to happen if we have enough faith. You don't see that here, do you? These people are those who walk by faith. Some of them conquered in marvelous ways. But then there were others who endured. And they endured some very difficult things. Verse 35, we see that some endured torture. Verse 36, some endured mockings, scourgings, chains, imprisonment. Verse 37 says, "...they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground." Boy, when I read this, I think to myself, You don't have it so bad, do you? Boy, there are times when we think, oh, you know, poor me. Oh, I've got it so rough. And then I read something like this, and it's just like, wait a minute. You you need to get real. (laughs) Look at what these people endured. Can you imagine what that must have been like? I'm thankful I haven't had to face many of these things, but in the days to come, I don't know. I don't know what we will face in the days to come, even in America. Are you starting to wonder if passages like this need to be studied so that we are ready for what may come? I don't know. One author says we must not succumb to the delusion that gentle rain and sunshine will continue to fall on the church in America as the culture sinks further into neo-paganism. That's worth noting. The delusion that things are just going to continue to be easy for the church in America. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be tougher and tougher as time goes on. Now, If you're wondering how these people endured such suffering, we're told in verse 35, the writer says others were tortured not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now it's clear from this verse that there was a way evidently to avoid (laughs) being tortured. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense to say that they did not accept their release. And I think we can probably guess what would have been the way to be released from torture. Like, just say, you curse Jesus. You deny Jesus. You're not going to worship Jesus. You're not going to speak about Jesus. If you just deny Him, you'll be set free. You'll be released. There was a man by the name of Polycarp not too long after this, the bishop of Smyrna, who was faced with this choice, either curse Jesus, deny Jesus, or or be released. When he was brought into the arena to be martyred, the proconsul pleaded with him and said, Curse Christ and I will release you. And Polycarp said, 86 years I've served him. He has never done me wrong. How then can I blaspheme the king who has saved me? The proconsul reached for an acceptable way out. He said, then do this old man just swear by the genius of the emperor. And that will be sufficient. In other words, deny Jesus and say you worship the emperor. And Polycarp says, if you imagine for a moment that I would do that, then I think you pretend that you don't know who I am. Hear it plainly. I am a Christian. Eighty-six-year-old man. Imagine. So the proconsul threatened him with wild beasts. And Polycarp said, bring them. I would change my mind if it meant going from the worse to the better, but not to change from the right to the wrong. The proconsul's patience was gone. He said, I will have you burned alive. And Polycarp says, you threaten fire that burns an hour and is over, but the judgment on the ungodly is forever. So the fire was prepared and Polycarp lifted his eyes to heaven and he prayed, Father, I bless you that you have deemed me worthy of this day and hour that I might take a portion of the martyrs in the cup of Christ. Among these may I today be welcomed before thy face as a rich and acceptable sacrifice. And after those final words, this 86-year-old godly man was martyred because he loved Jesus. Because he put his trust in Jesus. What enabled him? Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. So what's a better resurrection? If you read verse 35 in its entirety, here's what it says. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. So the contrast is being made between women whose children were raised to life. That's a resurrection, right? But there's a better resurrection than that. Because these ones who were raised to life, guess what happened? They died again, right? All of those who were raised to life, the scripture they died again. But this better resurrection is being raised to life, never to die again. Being raised to life with a new body, brought into the presence of Jesus. That's a better resurrection, isn't it? That's how they endured. They knew they had a better resurrection. See what a difference it makes when you walk by faith. Walking by faith gives you an eternal perspective. And it enables you to endure temporary suffering for the sake of eternal glory. And that's where our focus must be, right? If you are focused on avoiding temporary suffering at all costs, where will that lead you? That will lead you on the path away from Jesus. But when you've got your eyes focused on Him, and you know that there is a better resurrection, and you weigh the two, by faith you say, "I'll, I'll, I'll go with the better resurrection. That's what we see in the lives of these people. So here we have these two. (laughs) Conquering by faith, enduring by faith. Which one would you rather have? How many of you would rather conquer by faith, right? Escape the lions, the fire, the sword, the torture, the mockings, the scourging. Anybody here would not say that? I mean, that's what we'd want, right? Who chooses that? Is is that our choice? I don't think it is. For some, they conquered by faith. Others, they endured by faith. God's will for some was to conquer by faith. But for others, God's will was to endure by faith. And by faith, we have to come to the place where we say, God, I surrender to Your will. Yes, I'd rather conquer like these, but Lord, if you want me to endure, give me the grace to do that. I've always been challenged by the commitment of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men (laughs) threatened with the fiery furnace and their response to that is quite quite amazing. Daniel chapter 3. Verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and anger gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he responded to them and said, Is it true? Can't you just hear him? Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You don't serve my gods. You don't worship the golden image that I've set up. Now, if you're ready, when you hear the music, you're ready to bow down to the image that I've made, very well. But if you do not, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a fire, of a furnace, of blazing fire. <laughs> and then here's the challenge: And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Well, he was soon to discover, wasn't it? What is there? Who can deliver you from my hands, the, the mighty king Nebuchadnezzar, of the great Babylonian kingdom? They were faced with a choice, right, right? A very very sobering choice. And they responded. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And they believed he was going to, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O oh king. But, and here's the key. But even if He does not, even if God chooses not to deliver us, let it be known to you, O King, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Wow! Would you say that's walking by faith? I would say so. And I don't know that I have that kind of commitment in my own strength. (laughs) I think, what would I do if I was faced with a situation like that? It's a scary thing, isn't it, to think of? But I have to believe that as God was with them, that God would be with us as we face those choices. And God will decide whether... We live through that or whether God takes us to glory through that. But we rest in His plan for us, His will for us. And that He will be faithful in that hour. You see, the one who walks by faith doesn't look deep down within him when trials come. I remember coaches say, you got to dig deep down within you when you face that, you know, fourth down and one. Or you, you know, it's just like, you know, you got to find it somewhere within you. And, you know, you kind of, maybe as guys, you kind of develop that attitude, you know, just do it, right? I got what it takes, you know, I got this. Just dig deep down within. That is not the message of Hebrews 11, is it? Dig deep down within. It's not something we drum up within us. I think I can, I think I can, I know I can. I just, you know, try to build up faith within me. Go to the very next verse, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You see the word therefore? You look what it's there for, right? It brings us back to what we've just talked about. And he says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Those are the saints of chapter 11 who are saying something to us. Not witnessing what's going on, but saying something to us. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles. And let us run the race with what? Endurance. Ah, that's what we just saw, right? Run the race with endurance that is set before us, digging deep down within us to find it, right? Hardly. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. There's the key, right? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured. There's it again, the cross. Despising the shame. And I sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The word fixing, interesting word. It's a present tense which um, emphasizes something that is ongoing. And it carries the idea of looking away from other things in order to see Jesus. It is focusing only on Jesus. So, how did they endure? They fixed their eyes on Jesus, turning away from everything else, to focus on Jesus. And that's what enabled them to endure. It is not digging down deep within us, it's looking upward to Jesus. The answer. He's the answer. Annie Johnson has written a great hymn that Captures this. It's in our hymnal. Listen to the words of this hymn. I look not back. God knows the fruitless efforts, the wasted hours, the sinning, the regrets. I leave them all with Him who blots the record and graciously forgives and then forgets. I look not forward. God sees all the future. The road that's short or long will lead me home. And He will face with me its every trial and bear for me the burdens that may come. I look not round me. Then would fears assail me. So wild the tumult of earth's restless seas. So dark the world, so filled with woe and evil. So vain the hope of comfort. I look not inward, that would make me wretched, for I have not on which to stay my trust. Nothing I see save failures and shortcomings and weak endeavors crumbling into dust. But, verse 5, I look up into the face of Jesus, for there my heart can rest, My fears are stilled. And there is joy and love and light for darkness. And perfect peace and every hope fulfilled. So what are you focusing on today? Are you looking back with regrets? Are you looking forward and you don't know what that will bring? Are you looking around you fearful? Are you looking inward and finding nothing but wretchedness? (laughs) Or are you looking up? That's where the focus needs to be. Looking up into the face of Jesus. Father, help us as we walk in this world to walk by faith in you. Not looking backward or forward or inward or around us, but looking up into the face of Jesus. He is the one who will help us to conquer by Faith or to endure by faith, whatever your plan is for us, O God, thank you that you will be faithful to give us all that we need to follow your will and purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, just a reminder to you with the uh, cup that there is a little cellophane on the top and you need to get that first to get to the wafer and then to uh, to the cup. Dearly beloved, as we purpose to come to the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should carefully examine ourselves as Paul exhorts us. For this sacrament has been instituted for the special comfort and strengthening of those who humbly confess their sins and who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But if we do examine ourselves, we shall find nothing in us but sin and death, from which we cannot set ourselves free. Therefore, our Lord Jesus Christ has had mercy on us and has taken on Himself our nature, that He might fulfill for us the whole will and law of God. And for our deliverance suffer death and all that we, through our sins, deserve. And to the end that we should confidently believe this and be strengthened by our faith, he has instituted the Lord's Supper, in which he feeds us with his body and gives us a drink of his blood. Therefore, whoever eats of this bread and drinks of this cup, firmly believing the words of Christ, dwells in Christ and Christ in him, and he has eternal life. We should also do this in remembrance of him, of his death and how he was delivered for our sins and raised for our justification. And with grateful hearts, we should take up our cross and follow him. And according to his commandment, love one another, even as he has loved us. For we are all one bread and one body, even as we are partakers of this one bread and drink of this one cup. Would you join me in praying prayer? Our Lord Jesus Christ, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup when he had eaten and when he had given thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Our crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ, who has now bestowed upon you His holy body and blood, whereby He has made full satisfaction for all your sins, may He strengthen and preserve you in the one true faith unto everlasting life. Peace be with you. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing are closing him my faith looks up to thee